everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. I think we should do a pie in the face Sunday here, don't you think? <laughs> and we can pie the worship team. No, I don't. I just, I just realized they probably want to pie me, so I don't know if I... But that looked like a lot of fun. It really did. And what a great kickoff it was. And uh, I know your kids think so, if they were part of that. And uh, what a great week. What a great series. I just have to, I have to bring a correction. My, my, my wife was taking notes on Sunday last week, and we we're so excited about the kickoff. And John chapter 1, the first 18 verses there, it's called the prologue. And... Uh, just, it's just so rich with so much theology of Jesus, so much unpacking of who Jesus is. And, and uh, there's one point where I was trying to just tell you that, uh, you know, because the parallel between John chapter 1 and Genesis 1 in the beginning, uh, God created Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and then chapter 1, 1 of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and we see that the Word, capital W, is Christ made flesh who uh, walked amongst us but was preexistent in heaven. He's equal. He's part of the Trinity, this mysterious Trinity, and he was a part of creation. And I said something, and I can't even tell you what I said, but I was getting excited. But here's what I wanted to say. In, in, in light of creation, it's not how, but it's who, okay? Now, that doesn't mean um, that your how isn't respected. You might be a young earther or an old earther, you might even be a, 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 a theistic evolutionary, and that's okay. You might even be an atheistic evolutionary, and if you're here, we're glad you're here, uh, because we believe that what the Lord has done in our lives is worth sharing. And what I was trying to say, and I was probably getting all tongue-tied, is we don't want to, we don't want that to be the house, the, the, the card that makes the whole house fall. We, we think it's really great to sit around. There's really a lot of teaching, and for almost over a century and a half now, the church and science within the church, gifted people who love Christ are working out what we find in science, and I think we're going to discover as we live longer that there's a whole lot more harmony between science and the God who created science, and uh, that's what we believe in our faith in Christ, that it's not how it happened, but it's who did it. Who done it? And that's the Word made flesh. And so, um, I don't know if I said that well enough, but I, I, the reason I'm saying that is we don't want anything to be a stumbling block to you in your journey to discover Jesus. A long time ago, almost about the time that dinosaurs walked the earth, like 1991 or two, I was, I was uh, young, much younger, almost 28 years younger, and I was going off on the view that I held at that time close to my heart concerning creation, and a, and a woman in our church who worked for a research lab downtown and uh, the University of Wisconsin, uh, who had a different view of, of science and, and held a different view of how God may have done it or created, she, she didn't feel comfortable in my message, and she never came back. I've never seen her here since. And I don't want that to be. I don't want uh, that to be the, how do we say it, the hill that we die on, you know? Horrible analogy there, but we're, we're trying to go to the hill that he died on, and we want all roads to lead to what we're singing about this morning, the love of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross, okay? So, I don't know if you had that taped. You might need to if, if what my wife told me 
it sounded like you maybe need clarification of what I tried to say last week, okay? But this morning, <clears throat> we're back in the Gospel of John and loving it. Uh, and we're going to talk about, uh, I want to, uh, you're going to be at a different location this week in, in your connect groups, but I want to talk about John <clears throat> and not John the author, what tradition says is the author of this gospel, not John the disciple, but John the Baptist. They were two different people. John the Baptist didn't write the Gospel of John. It's believed that John the disciple wrote the Gospel of John and First and Second and Third John, the letters there, and possibly Revelation. Most many believe that as well. Uh, some don't, but most do. Uh, so John, uh, too many Johns and so little time. Even Peter was the son of John, but we have a fancy way of saying it's. Uh, uh, Simon Bar-Jonah, that just means the son of John, okay? Uh, but I want us to look this morning at John the Baptist, okay? Because he's very important in the Christian faith. There's churches named after him. Um, and he, he had a very short period of time, but his role was so important. And I want to draw from that a little bit this morning. And specifically, three things. So I'll give you a sneak preview of just three points that I want you to see. First of all, I want to talk about uh, a voice. I want to talk about a lamb and I want to talk about an invitation, okay? So let's dig in. The voice, here we go. This, isn't, this is the wrong thing. I've got this uh, fun laser printer. I was, put it on Felipe's chest. I don't know if any of you saw that when he was finishing up. Uh, and then I had to take it off. Really, some of you might have thought there was a, a, a rifle up in the balcony or something like that. So that wasn't, that's, I want to point at something here in a second. Okay, so here we are. Look at this first verse here in John chapter one. Uh, the, the fun part would have been if Felipe would have seen it. That's what I was hoping, you know, but he didn't. And so it was for, for naught. Uh, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Who he was. John is preaching in the wilderness area, uh, uh, a strong message of repentance. He's preaching in a funky outfit like camel hair and he's dressed in camel hair and he's eating, he's kind of vegan. Now, he's not really vegan because he's eating locusts. I don't know how much meat there is and, and wild honey, but he's out living in the wilderness and I, we don't know what he looked like. We can only imagine. He probably hasn't had a lot of shaves and his hair's long, but he's preaching about a kingdom and he's preaching about repentance and he's doing something that really didn't show up in the Old Testament. I mean, he's dunking people. He's going down to the Jordan River and he's dunking people and those who are being converted. Now, here's, here's a picture of a map. Uh, and if you're watching at home, which you can't, you're probably listening at home because we don't have a video. But here it is. It's a, a, it, you can look this up. You can Google this. It's just a Israel at the time of Jesus. But if you look, you can see about where it's believed that uh, uh, Bethany and the other side of the Jordan is located. If you see Jerusalem right there, my hand doesn't need to shake. It's just that it's such a small area. There's Jerusalem. And if you go to Jericho, about 18 miles, and then you cross over the Jordan River, that's Bethany east of Jordan. That's what John, uh, uh, John, the gospel writer here, is saying is the whereabouts of where John is in this wilderness. And if you understand the topography of Israel, you, you, you realize that the, uh, the moisture and the storms that come off the Mediterranean hit the high point. You always see where no matter where you're at, you're going up to Jerusalem. It's because of the high country. It's the altitude of Jerusalem. Jericho's almost a half mile lower and 18 miles away, but you go down and on the other side, you know, that, that weather comes from the west, kind of like it does for us. And then it oh, just kind of dumps and it makes it a little semi-arid there in, in Jerusalem. But then when it goes past that mountain range down into that, that uh, Dead Sea Valley, it's very arid. It's very dry. And 
this is a wilderness area, and this is where John is ministering and proclaiming and, and, and speaking of this new kingdom. And as we see here in this scripture, these Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, sent a, a posse, a, a team to go down and to check out and investigate what's taking place. Why? Because the, the news is spreading of this passionate prophet. Crowds are growing and they're listening to this message and, and the, the, the religious leaders must hurry so that you know, they can catch up as they lead. And so they're sending somebody down to try to figure out uh, exactly who this is. And so they ask that question, who are you? All right, now, if you've seen, if, if you've lived long enough, you understand in America we have these election cycles. And so you've got um, every two years, every four years, we're coming upon a national four-year election and we get debates and we get uh, direct mailings and we get some deceptive TV ads and radio ads. It's always deceptive to the opposing party, right? And so you've seen it and we're, we're, we're gearing up for it and uh, it beats revolution. It beats civil war, I should say, right? But not by much, I think, sometimes after getting through uh, one of these four-year cycles. But it's coming, so fasten your seatbelt. But you ever find that there are those who insist, man or woman, I am not a candidate. I am not a candidate. No, I, no way, I am not all the ass. Are you going to run? Are you going to? No, no, no. I am not running. I am not a candidate. And then, lo and behold, they throw their hat into the ring. Well, let me let me let you know something. Let's be clear of one thing. John is emphatically making a statement in our text this morning that he is not a candidate. That's what he's saying. He's not a candidate to be Messiah. He's not uh, a candidate to be Isaiah. And he's not a candidate to be the prophet. And these are the questions that are asked him. And let me unpack that in a second. But for the Messiah, if you understand it, the... Uh, Greek word is Christ. So when we're going through the New Testament, we say Christ and we see Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And here's what Messiah is. He, he was the long-awaited, promised king from the house of David who would overthrow all injustice and rule, unjust rule over Israel and maybe even the world. So this long-awaited king and ruler that was just going to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and bring uh, greatness back to their nation. And it even goes further than that. Imagine 800 years of really bad history because Israel had longed for a leader to come and deliver them from the ongoing mess that they were in. And so when I say 800 years, you had the Assyrians that came down and took much of the northern tribes. You had the Babylonians that rolled into town and just destroyed Jerusalem and of course, Daniel went off with that crowd for 70 years there in exile. He always had Egypt barking at their back door, all right? You had the, 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 the Persians after the Babylonians. You had the Greeks and the Grecian empires. And then you had currently the Roman Empire. And for 800 years, Israel is experiencing this oppression. We we're talking in Connect Group this week. There's no way for us to understand that. I mean, you know, if Canada rolled into town and took over, we'd probably enjoy it, but, uh, or even Mexico. But we're talking 800 years. They were just in its location. You don't see a real good picture of this in this blown up map. But what you do see is uh, a very small location and sliver of land that's very uh, vital to um, powerful empires of that day because you get the Mediterranean through Israel. 
You get down towards Egypt, you go up north into Assyria. And it's just, it was just a, a crossroads. And so they were primed for the picking. They weren't an empire themselves, although they remembered days when they were great. And so they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for someone to come in and to undo the injustice and to restore them to their greatness. In fact, I'm sure there were plenty of Make Israel Great Again t-shirts worn all over town. Probably had mega hats that they had too. And for good reason, okay, that was a stupid political joke. Would you just laugh? Don't be so uptight. You're never gonna figure out what I am up here, okay? I'm a kingdom guy, all right? So loosen up a little bit. Mig, buy your mega hat this week. I'll be selling them. Make Israel great again. That's we're in the time of Jesus. And they had every right to want to be great. Not, you know, the next candidate that comes through town saying, we need, everybody's talking change in America, but we probably don't need all that much change uh, like they needed change because we're talking serious oppression, serious um, injustice that was being done to them as a nation. So um, uh, they longed for the glory days of Saul and David and, and, uh, and for Solomon. But these, this religious uh, uh, group of, of, of leaders that have come down here towards Jericho, where, where John is, uh, they're, they're saying, so who are you? And, and, and he said, I'm not the Messiah. And he made that really clear. The first thing that he's saying is, uh, it says he did not fail to confess, and he confessed freely. So he put it all on the table. First of all, do not look at me as if I'm the Messiah, and you're going to see why here. But he made that abundantly clear. Don't start following me. And, and Israel had that history of looking to Messiahs and, and some who wanted to be Messiah and took on that role, and uh, they have graves all over Israel. You could probably go find them today in some places. And so they asked, are you the Messiah? Secondly, are you Elijah? Uh, and now, you have to understand, Elijah had a strange departure. In 2 Kings chapter 2, he didn't die. He went up in a, in a chariot. Okay, how cool would that be? So there's no account, there's no grave for Elijah in Israel. In fact, in Malachi, this is one of the prophets in the Old Testament, they, you could see this, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. <clears throat> so this is Malachi prophesying kind of way out there end times and end day type things. And, you know, when everything's, and if you read the whole context, it's when things are really coming undone in Israel. They say, I'm gonna send Elijah. Well, they could believe that because there's no grave for Elijah. Somehow, supernaturally, God transported Elijah from planet Earth to, uh, to wherever he's at. And, uh, and so they believe that. And this is why it shows up in your New Testament scriptures. Are you Elijah? And John the Baptist says, nope, not him either. And then the next one is, are you the prophet? The prophet. Um, Moses, first of all, was the number one prophet in Israel. And all the other prophets were number two. Elijah probably would have been up there towards us. But Moses was the, the biggest and the baddest. And he had spoken of a, at one point in Deuteronomy, he spoke of a raising up of a future great prophet coming. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. So what Israel, Israel was saying at that time was, we are really frightened of your voice. We are frightened of whatever image you give us. We don't want to talk to you directly. Seriously, this is the context of the scripture in Deuteronomy. And so uh, I guess God gives uh, direction to Moses and, and Moses says, okay, the day will come where God will raise up a, another prophet. And so that's the prophet that you see throughout the New Testament. They're looking for Elijah. They're looking for maybe a, a reincarnation of Moses or a prophet like Moses. And so uh, the question here is being asked, 
by this, this posse of religious leaders from Jerusalem, are you the prophet, the prophet? And John the Baptist says, no, he's not. So who are you? We've got to have an answer. We've got to go back to Israel, or back to Jerusalem, I should say, and, and we've got those in authority over us that need to have an answer. Would you please give us something or we're going to be in trouble? It's not in the Bible, but that's what they were feeling. And uh, here's what he said. I love this. John says, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. I am the voice. Now, right away, you've gone to a TV program and a talent search, right? You're there. Come back. Focus. Come back. Okay. I did that purposefully just to see, try to wake you up. Okay. This morning. The voice. The voice. But it's a voice like none that we've ever heard. It's, uh, it's uh, amazing because here's, here's what you see. Uh, I am the voice. He's the f- one, one, one name for John is the forerunner, which basically means a person that precedes the coming of someone else, okay? But that's probably not being borne out in this text as much. But I think of it this way. Have you guys ever been driving down East Washington and all of a sudden you hear, and there's an ambulance behind you? What do you do? You'd better pull over. Uh, everybody is just trained to pull over. Marriott, you just try to make way. You try to make way for that emergency vehicle to come. Once you hear the siren, once you get that alert, it's like clear the path, something's coming of tremendous value and import, maybe life and death, right? And so we're very sensitive to that. This is who John was saying he is, essentially. Uh, That picture of, he's a siren, He's he's a sounding of making straight, clearing the path, make way for the Lord, the Messiah that they've been waiting for for hundreds of years at this point. Uh, He was the siren for the coming Messiah. And religious leaders asked, if you're not one of the big three, why are you baptizing people? And here's here's what John says. He says, I baptize in water, but among you stands one you do not know. And he's the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So, John is baptizing in preparation. He's making a way for a Messiah to come. And he's even making this statement. He's here. Can you imagine when he says that? I mean, you're standing there in the crowds. He always had big crowds. And now the, the Pharisees and the Levites, you know, because they're probably little Pharisees, the big Pharisees sent them and these religious leaders. And he's, he's even now, he stands, uh, but among you stands one. I bet they're going, who is he? Where is this guy? Well, they'd soon find out. So the next thing I want you to see is the lamb because that's where this text is taking us this morning, all right? John 1, the next day, I love these next days in John. I don't know how many, if there's more than one day, but it's, it seems to be the next day. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God. Look, the lamb of God. Now, I, I want to put myself in that culture for a minute and what we talked about, the lamb of God. So in my notes, I have question mark, exclamation point. Lamb of God. (laughs) You know, we're looking for Moses who would get face to face with Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You know, we're looking for, we're looking for, um, for Elijah who would go up on the mountain and, and, and challenge the hundreds of prophets of Baal 
and, and call down lightning and smite those demonic leaders. You know what I mean? They, they were looking for some, for some muscle. They were looking for Judas Maccabees. Here's Judas. He led the Maccabean revolt about 160 to 170 years prior to this point, maybe, maybe 200 years because we're almost 30 years into Jesus' life. And against the, this Greek-influenced uh, 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 presence in their, in their country. In fact, it was so bad, the Seleucids had come in and taken the area of the temple and set up their Greek gods. What an abomination in the holy and sacred place of God. And so uh, what we have in history, and this is historical because this is where Hanukkah comes from. Uh, that's your Jewish friends and neighbors. They, they celebrate about the time we celebrate Christmas. They're celebrating Hanukkah, which commemorates the, the restoration of Jewish worship at that second temple in 164 B.C. And Judah Maccabees, he went in and he removed all the statues depicting Greek gods and goddesses, and he purified the temple. So he's a hero. And there were seven years of battling. And in the early days of the rebellion, Judah received a surname, Maccabee, meaning hammer. Uh, or sledgehammer. And, and so it wasn't his last name. They gave it to him because of, uh, of the ferocity that he fought and, and how great he was in battle. And don't you know that that day by the River Jordan, the, the, uh, the, the, that audience was looking for a, a, a Judah? They were looking for a, a Moses to, to, to face down uh, uh, Pharaoh or, or even, you know, a, a prophet, an evil prophet, uh, uh, smiting a prophet like, uh, like that of Elijah. And the fact is, uh, they got the lamb. Behold the lamb, not the hammer. They would have loved to have heard, behold the hammer. Boom, 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 boom. The truth is, they, uh, they were looking for Rambo, but they got Lambo. Were you ready for that? Some of you were. I've used it before. Some of that's brand new. You can use that. They were looking, Rambo was on last night. I was watching a little bit of Rambo too. Maybe my greatest waste of time in the evening, but I just had to. You should have your channel surfing. It takes me way back, right? Takes some of you back. But, uh, you know, that, oh, I'm sorry. That was Rocky, not Rambo. They're the same. They're the same person. <laughs> Very few words. No, I'm sorry. We love Sly Stone. I was telling my dad, my dad's middle name is Sylvester. And I was up helping him mow their lawn yesterday. I said, I call him Sylvester once in a while. He kind of gets a little ruffled, you know, and I go, no, dad, dad. I said, that's cool. Uh, we'll call you Sly, and we might need to call you Sylvester these days. He says, no, I don't think so. Okay, it's all right. I'm sorry. So anyway, total side note, Sly. Uh, but they were looking for that kind of a warrior God, and they got a lamb. And I think we need to understand this. There's something deep. There's something profound that I won't even have time to unpack this morning, but this is exactly what God wanted to bring to our planet. Not another hammer, but the Lamb of God. And, and look what it says. The next day, I read, that, I read that. He comes and John says, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So not just a lamb, but a very important lamb. Now, this is a, this is a spoiler alert, right? If this was a movie, I'd be unveiling the end of the movie. And in this gospel, the beginning of this gospel, John is spoiling and, and showing the end of the gospel because the greatest miracle that ever visited this planet happens at the end of the gospel and at the end of all the gospels. It's in a location. It's, 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 it's not pretty. 
but it's supernatural in that it's the place where God, the God of all the universe, the word that was in the beginning, that was God, was with God, that created all things, he hung between two thieves, and this is the greatest act of love that has ever hit this planet. It's what's transforming lives then and, and, and now today as well. Amazing. Not just another warrior God or warrior king, but the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A lamb who removes sin, not just for Israel, look at that, but for the world. Peter said it this way. He said, <laughs> he said, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that all perish, no matter how wealthy you are, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That song we were singing, the value of the cross. The gold and the silver, that all tarnishes and, you know, it, it loses its value. You know, silver may be up here, maybe down. If you invest in gold, it's going now good. But this is, this is uh, it, you can't tarnish what this, this gift was. And it was the precious blood of Christ because that was his life. The, the Old Testament says that the, uh, the life is in the blood of the animal. Well, John was saying that the Lamb of God, and he was going to show us as, it, as, as, as the gospel uh, produces the truth and the insights and the miracles and the signs, that the greatest sign was the shedding of the blood of God. God made man so that we could live. He gave his life so that we could live and to forgive our sins and to bring healing to our lives. Beautiful, great stuff. And it's all showing up in these first couple of verses. And um, uh, uh, Israel's Passover lamb, if, you, if you've studied this and you've watched the Ten Commandments and if you have participated in seders, that Passover lamb is very important, a year old. It had to be without spot or blemish. Couldn't have a broken leg. And here's what God commanded Israel to do because Egypt was not... Uh, relenting and letting his people go. Moses, let my people go. And, and then uh, God said, okay, this is it. Uh, we have a Passover. Here's what's going to happen. You take that lamb, each family, you, you slaughter the lamb, and you put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and then you eat the lamb. You're going to have that for a meal. But tonight, that, the, the death angel is going to pass over all the houses with the blood over the doorposts, over the doors, and that's the imagery here that we're getting with behold the Lamb of God. In fact, um, John's gospel uh, actually places the crucifixion on the afternoon when the Passover lambs are being killed, which is interesting in the temple, okay? And when, when dealing with sin of, of, of sexual immorality, the apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, get rid of the old yeast, that's the sin, so that you may... Uh, be a new unleavened batch, look at this, as you really are, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So the, those who wrote the gospels, those who wrote these letters to the churches, they recognized what John was saying in his gospel, all right, one of the, we believe John is one of the, the disciples of, of Jesus writing this gospel, and, and that he's saying that there's something very unique about uh, John the Baptist saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, relating there to that, that, that sacred Passover lamb. So, uh, uh, Isaiah prophesied uh, over 700 years before Jesus. He said, uh, 
he was oppressed and afflicted, speaking of the suffering servant, the Messiah, prophesying of a coming Messiah, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So this is, uh, this is a new and better Exodus story. Do you see that, church? Do you see that this morning, followers of Jesus? A better Exodus story. It's Israel's Passover brought them up out of Egyptian bondage and into, their, into the wilderness and then to the promised land. But God is now bringing all of humanity through Christ, through this Passover lamb, out of an even older and a darker bondage. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is paramount stuff. That's why I just think it's so important that we, we look at the life of John the Baptist as he's kind of giving insight into who Jesus is, the real Jesus. Last week in the prologue, verse 12, we, said, we read something like this, yet to all who believed and received, to those he gave the right to become children of God, to all who received him and believed in his name. So, Write this down in your heart, in your head, in your notes. He's everybody's lamb today. There was a time when he wasn't. There was a time when the Passover lamb was a part of a tradition of ancient people who God was using to save the world. Now, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is for everybody, every race, every uh, every uh, class of people, the educated, the uneducated. You just slot in there whatever you want. This lamb is for every human in past history, cross forward to the present day. John had an assurance when he was talking about this going on, you know, and the lamb, and he said uh, that uh, he was confident in Jesus' identity because it was a fulfillment of a word given to him. So God spoke to him as a prophet and said, go out into a very dry, arid place and preach the kingdom of God and speak, you know, just just, and speak about uh, uh, um, the Messiah coming and baptize people uh, uh, for their, for the remission of sins or for their, for their sins and for the forgiveness of sins. And so, uh, but he says that he knew that Jesus, look in verse 33, that was the man because he says, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is, uh, remain upon is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. And I, I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now, the Gospel of John does not give that beautiful picture of Jesus' baptism, but it does, it does, I guess it's just, John is just assuming that everybody by that time, if it is, in fact, the latest Gospel written, they already knew about Jesus' baptism in the Jordan. But he's, 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 he's uh, putting an exclamation point I had this deal with the creator, the God who called me to be a prophet, that when you saw the dove, you know, the Holy Spirit like a dove coming down upon a man, that this was God, that this was Messiah. And so he's testifying, he says, I saw it. That's good enough for me. I was foretelling, I was the siren, and one day I saw it happen, and uh, I have seen and testified that this is God's Chosen one. So, uh, we baptize here, and it's a very important part of our faith. It's something that if you haven't been baptized, we encourage you to pray about that. There's a place on our bulletin where we, you can check a box, and we will fill up the tank. We have a tank that we fill up, and I try to make it warm. You know, I, <laughs> there's not a heater in it, but it's a beautiful experience because it's 
a very old and ancient practice. It's actually one of the commandments that the Lord gave us. And as you read John, you're going to find there was a time where Jesus was baptized. And it says, actually, his disciples were baptizing. So baptism, and we kind of see the theology or the understanding of it, the unpacking of the value of it, as we, uh, as we uh, identify ourselves with Christ's death and his resurrection and it's like an outward sign of something deeper that's going on in our lives. And we believe it's, there's something potentially supernatural that can be unleashed in your life, all right? Because we just believe he's more than a memory around here, that when we're having communion or doing baptism, that that could be a deal breaker for you in your journey, okay? So, baptism, we do it. I just want to give a plug for that right there. Some of you didn't see that coming, but that's all right. Because we're talking about what John's doing, what Jesus did, and then as we get into the New Testament. But... I want you also to see the beauty of who Jesus is here. He's the baptizer. Jesus baptizes in his spirit. And this is a very important part of our faith it walk in Christ as well. And uh, we'll see that as we go forward, but uh, that's something that we should be pursuing, inviting Jesus, inviting Jesus to uh, pour out his spirit upon our life because uh, we need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit leading us uh, in these days, amen? Okay, so here's my last point. It's an invitation. There's an invitation taking place here as we just kind of cruise through uh, John the Baptist's journey as he shows up in this gospel of John. And you see that verse, that, uh, it's a couple verses there in verses 35 to 39. It says, when the disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, what did they say? It's, it, I left it out. I needed more space on my slide. Here's, here's what it says, okay? Uh, the next day. You're not surprised by that. We've had, I think, two or three next days, okay? The next day, uh, 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 again, John is with his disciples when he saw Jesus passing. He says again, look, the Lamb of God, okay? And you see what happens when, when the two disciples who are with John, so John's got these disciples, probably he's got a lot of disciples, but two of these disciples heard him say this, and right away they followed Jesus. <laughs> How do you think John would feel, right? Oh, hold it, I was building church over here. You just left me high and dry, Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Uh, Come, he said, he replied, and you're going to see. So they, they went, and they saw where he was, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. I think that's kind of interesting, I'll say, because uh, first of all, the invite, come and you will see. The disciples were looking for Messiah, and Jesus was looking for disciples, and these were the first two called. Uh, two disciples. Andrew, we're going to see in this next verse, was one of them and an unnamed disciple. Tradition seems to point towards that being the disciple John, the brother of James, who other gospels said, uh, the synoptic gospels say that they were the first two called. So that's why we kind of believe. He doesn't want to mention his own name, but he's four or five times he says, uh, the disciple Jesus loved, which I just get a kick out of that. You'll see towards the end of the gospel uh, of John. But tradition says he's a brother of James. And I think that's interesting because, listen to this. Do you remember the day you first sat down with Jesus? Do you remember the day you first encountered Jesus? You probably do. You probably remember that moment where you encountered his love and his grace and it all kind of clicked and said, this is for me. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Imagine John, the apostle John, in the 80s or 90s, uh, 30, 60 years, maybe 50, 60, 70 years after the life and death of Jesus Christ and resurrection, that John's penning this <clears throat> gospel, and he's saying, and it was about four in the afternoon. I think that's kind of cool. 
is about, I mean, I will never forget that day, that place, where I was, who I was with. I'm not going to say it was me, but I can, I, we followed Jesus that day, went to where he was, and that, that, that changed our life so much that, that, uh, that uh, well, you can see right here, the, the following, I just want you to see, uh, Andrew, right, was, is Simon's, uh, is Peter's brother, uh, and, and he heard first and, uh, what John had said, uh, and who, he, he followed Jesus. The first thing, it's so small back there, that's why I'm having problems reading. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought, and, and he brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, okay? Uh, I think this is so cool. When they accepted the invitation to follow Jesus, it changed their occupation, and it changed in Jesus' case, or in Peter's case, it changed his name. And, and I think this is some profound stuff. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I just want to close at this time. But I think there's, there's, there's some takeaways in all of this, but I want you to see if you're keeping score, if you're keeping count, we have so far discovered that Jesus said he's the word, or John said that he is the word, uh, the, the gospel writer, which meant he was also in creation because he created all things. Also, that picture of being the light, exposing spiritual darkness, just as light came over creation and brought clarity. Uh, he is the light of the world, and uh, he's the Lamb of God. We see this morning he's also the baptizer. Uh, but what I think we can, we can understand today is their occupations changed. As fishermen, they ended up laying down their nets and following Jesus for three years. But today I want you to hear something. You don't have to quit your day job to shift your occupation a little bit. You can continue to work nine to five or whatever it is, but there's a kingdom call that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. There's an occupation that shifts in all of us just as it did to the first followers. We follow Jesus Christ and it begins to transform the way we think and, and live. I like what Andrew did. Andrew was faithful to bring people to Jesus. I believe it was Andrew who brought the boy to Jesus with the loaves and fishes. And here we see Andrew bringing his brother to Jesus. And I think there's a calling on all of us to be an Andrew to bring others to Jesus, all right? And one way you can do that is we've got these, uh, sounds like commercial, but we've got these, you are invited. And there are people that you rub elbows with every day of your life that need to come and be a part of faith community. And you don't even know how much they're longing for it. All you have to do though is pray, you know, and, and pass out one of these little cards that says you're invited. And on the backside, it tells the time and location of our church. It even tells that there's coffee on Sunday mornings, okay? That's what Andrew did. He brought others to Jesus. And I think that's a takeaway this morning for us. I want you to see this too, that John's, John the Baptist was the voice saying, prepare the way of the Lord. And I, I put down the scripture here for you to see in Isaiah 40, because he said, as the prophet said, and here it is, a voice of one calling, uh, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now that's where John was. He says, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing right now. I am the voice. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, easy traversing. Every mountain will be brought low. 
The rough ground shall be smoothed out and made level. The rugged places a plain. Look at, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together for a mouth of the Lord has spoken. That was John the Baptist. And I believe it's the role of every follower of Jesus Christ to be a, a siren, to be a forerunner, to be a John the Baptist trying to take the rough places out of the road of those who we walk with, those who we live with, our neighbors, our friends, co-workers, so that our attitudes and our actions and our love and our example of Christ can help remove obstacles that hinder our neighbors from encountering Jesus. You see that? We're all John the Baptist today. Don't you think you can get out of here without being called this morning? You are that. And it may be your smile, it may be your embrace, it may be a cup of coffee this week. It may be just listening ear, just a listening ear, or a shoulder to lean on. It may be a prayer. It may be a prayer in season where the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants to unleash his power into somebody's life. You are John the Baptist. You are that siren making way, making a clear road for the presence and the power of our resurrected Lord Jesus to come in to those to the life of those around us. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, I just, I thank you for this challenge uh, this morning to my heart. And I pray, God, that you would, you would do a deeper work in us as we just look at the beauty of this gospel. Lord, that, uh, Lord, that you would uh, put a, an Andrew anointing upon our lives, that you would allow us to be a voice that prepares a path for you, Jesus. Uh, Lord, that you would, you would do a, uh, a deep work in us, that you do it out of the, old, the old giftings that you've called us and created us to be, uh, and that we would, just, uh, we would just emit the light of the light, and that's you, Jesus, the light of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridgeway.church.